We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Setting the pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me is the one and only, the lovely, the mattress man, Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, how's it going, brother? Hey, I am living life. I mean, whew, we didn't get to cover the Chicago game yet. That was a great high. And the Philly game, Pacers, they were very competitive, but, you know, they come up short once again to those 76ers that just seem to have our number. Yeah, so I guess we're going to talk today about both of these games, and I'm we were kind of eager to try to record after the Bulls game, but I wasn't able to do it. So decided we wait till after the Sixers game and talk about both these games. So I want to start first here, Fachi, with the Pacers taking down Chicago, who was above them in the in the standings. And then by winning that game in Chicago losing, we jumped them by a half game, I believe, or it was a tiebreaker. And they ended up having we have we have the tiebreaker. So because we lost to the 76ers, we now are now a half game behind them. So we are back at 12th in the Eastern Conference. But this was a game where, you know, the both teams were trying to win. Obviously, the Bulls don't have a very good chance of keeping their pick, so they're trying to win games. The Pacers want the experience of getting into the play-in tournament and that kind of thing. So really fun game, back and forth. No Aaron Neesmith the last two games. Jordan Awar has been getting the start. So I guess where do you want to start, Foch? I mean, let's talk about that Halliburton game winner. I I think that's kind of where we got to really give him his flowers because Halliburton, we we talked about him, we had him on the show. It was like he was trying to grow into this new role of being the franchise. Now we've seen him now, I mean, hit numerous game winners. And Chicago, he added another another notch on the belt, however you want to put it, of just like this guy, when it matters most, down the stretch, has been clutch. 
and it, it just added a little bit more to the theatrics of it was right in front of Patrick Beverly, right in his <laughs> face. I mean, he he unloads the shot back in Indiana. It splashes down in Chicago. I mean, once again, the Pacers have the Chicago Bulls number. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Beverly, he had ran his mouth after the Lakers beat the Pacers and Tyrese was first, his, uh, first game back from that injury where he missed like three three weeks, I think, or close to it. And, and Beverly was like, I heard Halliburton was saying stuff about me on J.J. Reddick's podcast, and I just took that personal, and Coach let me guard him. It's like I held him to nothing. It's like the guy still had a pretty good game with his return, so I don't, I don't really know what Patrick Beverly was thinking. And so then Pat Beverly, uh, you know, doing his best to guard Tyrese, and Tyrese just pulls a 30-footer right in his face and gets the game winner. And, you know, in this game, Fachi, besides Halliburton, I, I think the player that probably stood out to me the most was Benedict Mather, and I think playing 34 minutes in this game after playing just 15 minutes against the San Antonio Spurs, this to me was like, okay, we're really starting to see him play a little bit more. So 34 minutes for him, just 20 minutes for Nimhard, and just 26 for Buddy Heald. So overall, I thought the bench played really well, but I really liked what we saw from Benedict Mather. Definitely loved what I saw from Matherin. I mean, this was just a, especially, you know, seven free throws. I mean, the rest of the team had nine. So he goes seven of seven from the free throw line. He's been great there. Three assists. I know three assists might not mean a lot to some people. It's great to see from Matherin, and that doesn't even include the 17 that he chipped in. But you also talked about the bench. The bench was phenomenal. Yeah. In, the, in this game, you got to give a shout out to the bench. I mean, let's go through it. We talked about Matherin with 17 points. Dorte gives us 15. O'Shea returns to the rotation, gives us 10 points on four of seven shooting. TJ McConnell, rock steady, 9.6 assists, zero turnovers. You got Isaiah Jackson giving you six points, seven boards. Uh, the bench shot about 50%. I thought that that was a, a real difference in this game when all starters were actually, you know, a minus. So yeah. that, that was encouraging to see. Yeah, I was going to say this, the bench all had a positive plus minus. At the, the lowest one was Duarte with a plus three. But TJ McConnell was a plus 13, O'Shea Brissett plus 10, I Jackson, uh, Isaiah Jackson plus 9, and then Benedict Mather in a plus 7. And then if you look at the starters, like, it wasn't great. Halliburton was minus 7, Buddy Hield minus 9, Turner minus 6, Nawara minus 4, and then Nimhard was just minus 1. So I think that you really saw a, a good balance, but I think this is where Chicago is kind of in trouble. Just their bench is just not very good. And I think the Pacers bench was able to take – care of things but let's just kind of I know that it's going to be part of our conversation with the Sixers but I think it's a good time to bring it up the last three games Fachi Chris Duarte looks like a different player this is a guy that looks like he's finally starting to fit in understand what his role is and he has shot the ball well playing solid defense I, I think maybe we're starting to see the healthy Chris Duarte that we were hoping to see all season long I really hope so. I mean, against Chicago, he he was awesome. Five of eight from three, get him to 15 points. Hits a, a buzzer beater. It's just what he does. It's what he's always done uh, with the Pacers. So that's been great. I just want to see him get his confidence back, but also yeah. have consistency. Like, it's it hurts when you just see him as a did-not-play-coach's decision because it's like, whoa, like, how, how do you get to this point? So it, it's great to see him, you know, in a more consistent role. And it's just like he's done – He's put in the work to be able to rebound himself from that ankle injury that he suffered earlier in the season. I know it's been a lot of uh, ups, ups and downs of, of the season for Duarte, but it, you, 
it's hard to not root for him. And when you see a performance like this, you know, it just puts a smile on your face. Yeah, I think with Chris Duarte, there's been a lot of, like, talk. We talked about it a lot before the trade deadline. Is he going to be here long term? What is his future with the Pacers? And does he make sense? And I, and I will say this, whether he's playing great or not, I think that, you know, and whether he's here long term or not, I think the best thing about him is he is playing good, which is only going to help raise his value. I think that if other teams are able to see how effective he can be off the bench, because I still think Chris Duarte is a good defender. There were some points, I believe it was last night against Philadelphia when I was rewatching it, where he's pressuring the ball, you know, full court and then kind of got beat. <laughs> Once the ball got past half court, you're like, okay, maybe he should have just chilled a little bit and, and just kind of settled into a, or locked in at, at the half court defensive type of thing and not try to pressure the full 94 feet. But, you know, I, I love the, the way he's playing. I love the energy he's playing with. I love the shots that he's taking. They're not forced. They're open looks. And I think Rick Carlisle talked about this after that Bulls game. Really like the way they've been sharing the ball and moving the basketball. It's not been, you know, oh, catch and shoot or I'm going to drive. It's no, I'm going to move the basketball, try to get the open look before I just start forcing shots. And I think with the way that TJ McConnell is such a good basketball player and, and getting guys involved, um, we're starting to see Duarte and Matherin play pretty well next to each other. And I think that's a good sign moving forward. It definitely is a good sign. Uh, I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. You want to see just Matherin con continuously, you know, play well with others out there. We obviously know when he's, when he's in the game, he's looking to score, but it always helps to have good point guard play. I still want to see more of Halliburton and Matherin. And, you know, I did, uh, it, it was it was fortunate that Zach Levine missed that last free throw, but it was Matherin that fouled him at the end of the game. And I was like, ah, oh, man, like that's an all-star kind of putting on a little bit of a veteran move at the end. But I think this has been a great learning experience for Matherin. But I don't know if you're ready to transition over quickly, but one thing I want to touch on is with Aaron Neesmith out, we saw Jordan Nwora yeah. enter the starting lineup. What have been your thoughts on Nwora, who instantly in eight games as a pacer, I mean – it's the numbers he's putting up. I am impressed with 10.4 points per game, 47% shooting from the field, 37% from three. And he has now scored in double figures. Uh, it is five straight games. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to bring that up actually. <laughs> so I'm glad you did because I feel like Nawara's been a pretty solid fit with this team. Fachi. Yes. Now, the, the thing is, I still don't love the defense. I'll be honest mm -hmm. with you. I still think he's more of an offensive player. But, of course, uh, you know, even if you just don't count the first two games before the All-Star break and just look at the last six games, 12.7 points, 3.8 rebounds, and 2.7 assists. So that's really positive to see now. I will say this. He's only been a positive in the plus-minus twice of, of those six games. And one was a plus-17 against Orlando on the road, and I think that was his breakout game. Talked yep. with Caitlin Cooper about that. Then he was a plus two against Dallas, and we and we heard that you know the 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 job for him was to kind of guard the bigger players, maybe even Luca after Aaron Neesmith was in foul trouble or he was you know on the bench getting a rest that kind of thing. But since then, minus ten uh, against San Antonio. I mean that was not a good game from him, even though he had a decent scoring per, uh, performance and not a bad shooting performance either. Just a minus ten. I mean part of that's just the way the team played in general, but. Minus four against Chicago, minus four against Philly. So, like, not terrible. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and criticize too much, but 40% from three, Fachi, is pretty good and on decent attempts. So, I, I like what we're seeing, but I still feel like, even though he's getting the start, he feels like a guy that's best off the bench. Definitely. And I just wonder, 
you know, the bench has almost played better without him the last two games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in there instead. So you, it kind of makes me wonder. Yes, I, I agree with Caitlin that he probably is kind of insurance for O'Shea. I'm not like sold on him long term. Uh, I just got to see more. I think it's too small of a sample size, but the way they were able to acquire him, I, I, I tweeted this last night. It feels very similar to TJ Warren and how we were, we were mm-hmm. able to acquire him. Obviously not the same level of yeah. player, but being able to get three second round picks plus this guy, I mean, I, I haven't been disappointed at all. I just think that there's a lot of room to grow. I think he's more of a bench guy, though, than he is a long-term starter. No, he he definitely is. And look, Jordan War was it meant to be our fix at, you know, small forward or, or anything of that sort at the forward spot. But I just feel like when you acquired him with three second round picks, I mean, he's already been better than people expected. So I still love that move. But yeah, talking about as O'Shea insurance, it, it's a really good point right there because I know O'Shea just made, you know, finally made with Anthony Smith out has returned to the rotation, but for a while had been out of it. And it really felt like the writing is on the wall that he probably won't be back with the Pacers next year. Any Anything could happen, but if the Pacers don't make the move for Jordan Awar, maybe it does strengthen O'Shea's chance. But um, one other thing I wanted to bring up is I have not seen Daniel Tice lately. There's been a big difference from after the All-Star break when, you know, when, they, when he couldn't be traded it really feels like we have not seen Tice, and I'm not complaining about it. Is that something that you've thought about and been like, hmm, I wonder if the Daniel Tice experiment's kind of going on hold a bit? Yeah, I think actually Rick Carlisle addressed this after the game last night against the, the 76ers, and he said he had a conversation with Daniel Tice and told him, hey, we're going to give these guys a chance to you know Good. grow and play. But he said, I told Tice to be ready to play at all times because you never know when that's going to happen, and I believe he did the same thing for George Hill. We saw George Hill get the start against San Antonio when Tyrese was out. So I think that was more of a circumstance type of thing, like a situational type of thing. George Hill's got a big history, a lot of history with San Antonio. And Mm -hmm. I think Carlisle even addressed that and said he was going to play him, start him, wasn't going to play him a ton of minutes though. So I think Daniel Tice understands. And I think one thing we have to be really encouraged by is the play of Jalen Smith against Joel Embiid in the 76ers. I mean, for a guy that's really been having inconsistent minutes, when he's played of late, I have seen growth from him. I honestly, so I. you know, sometimes we do get a little bit frustrated because he's a young guy that got benched. But I think sometimes that's a good thing because, you know, Bobby Knight had a <laughs> had a terrific quote. I forget it was like early 90s or something. I'm not, I'm not going to say any cuss words here because I don't do that. But he was like, the best way to get motivation, he was like, butt meets bench, player gets <laughs> mad, player <laughs> plays better. It's pretty simple. There's a simple process to it all. And I think... Sometimes we just overthink these things. I think that Jalen Smith was a little bit in his head, went from being a starter to becoming a guy off the bench, and then really was struggling off the bench, couldn't shoot the ball from three. And instead of basically just throwing him out there, they said, okay, take some time off. Uh, you know, you have to earn these minutes. Show us that you, you know, you deserve these minutes. And I, it's tough because Daniel Tice, the whole situation, I get it. You want to let Tice at least prove that he can play and be effective, and, and maybe they could have traded him, maybe they couldn't have, I don't know, but I just think long-term, what we've seen from Jalen Smith in terms of his improvement, I think that's a good sign for things to come, because before the deadline, I was like, I don't really see a future with him here on the Pacers, but the way he played last night against Philadelphia, I kind of think he makes the most sense as the backup center behind Miles Turner, and that's over Tice and Isaiah Jackson right now. 
And and I would like to see it because I still just I got that soft spot for Jalen from last year. I, we we all saw him play so well, and it's just like for him to just not be logging any minutes or play like six minutes in in a game. It's just not enough. And you look at the last two games he's played against Dallas: eleven points, nine rebounds, uh, and then against Philly, fourteen points. He does it on five of eight shooting. It, two blocks. I mean, we saw him look, you know, really good, or I'd say solid, against Orlando yeah. uh, at this point about two weeks ago. Seven points, seven boards, five blocks. What more can this guy do when, you, when you're not giving him? He's, ne- he's rarely cracking 20 minutes. So, I mean, that's right where he was against Philly. It's right where he was against Orlando. Like, you give him enough of a sample size, he has not been bad. He hasn't been great by any means. He hasn't been what we hoped for. But as you're talking about as a backup center, come on. Like Daniel Tice, I'm happy to hear what you what you mentioned. I must have missed it from Carlisle. I'm happy to hear that that conversation happened because it was doing no one help to have Daniel Tice out there. And it's not Tice's fault. Look at it. In Tice's seven appearances this year, the Pacers are one and six. Yeah. Look, we can't pin it on him, but let's not say that this man was contributing to winning basketball or, or <laughs> player development. Yeah, I mean, it was tough, and the opponents were kind of tough, and Tyrese was just coming back, and I think Turner missed the game and stuff like that. So yeah, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think Daniel Tice has been as bad as the record indicates. No. I, I thought he actually was decent in, in some of the games that he played. I think the only win we got was against Sacramento during that stretch. So, you know, hey, kudos to Daniel Tice for helping Tyrese and Buddy get the win there. But, yeah, I just – I want to ask you this, Fachi, because I've been thinking got? about it, you know, when we look at the bigs and, and how we're going to address this roster moving forward, I don't want to jump to conclusions or anything. And I know there's some days where I feel like Isaiah Jackson's got to be the backup center moving forward. And then there's other days where I'm like, is he really that – is he going to be that guy that can really be that backup center? And so let me just ask you this, because Isaiah Jackson is a much smaller frame player than Jalen Smith. Do you think that his frame being so much smaller is a problem potentially for him moving forward being a full-time five? Because when he was drafted, it was kind of like, well, he could play the five and the four, but they're almost like adamant about not playing him at the four whatsoever next to any of the centers we have. Do you think he's a little bit too small to to invest in him long-term as the backup center? Unfortunately, I think I do. I think I'm finally coming around to just be like, what is he? He's a definition of a tweener. At six foot nine, it's like he's in between positions. You go on ESPN, they list him as a small forward, and he's obviously not. <laughs> and then, then you say, oh, is he a backup five? Well, I don't know. I could see him at the four. Well, they don't want him at the four. And now you're like, I don't know where to put this guy. He's obviously – he can jump out of the ceiling. He could block anything that, that goes up there. But we have not seen growth from uh, uh, you know an offensive standpoint in terms of shooting or putting the ball on the floor and really be able to make more happen, I just don't think it's been there this year. And then he's already getting you know going to be going into year three. At that point, I, I just don't know where you can find the minutes for him to develop when you're still continuously looking to get others. We don't even know who the Pacers look to draft. Whoever yeah. the Pacers draft could spell potentially the end of Isaiah Jackson really being an everyday rotation guy. I, I wanted to believe. I, I love the pick when it happened on draft night. You and I, when we went to the, the, the Pacers versus Nuggets game, we saw him make a good move and then put up a jumper. And I thought, okay, you know what? I could see something. Uh, and I haven't seen really anything since from the offensive standpoint other than just being raw. Yeah, I'll say this. I think the highs with Isaiah Jackson 
are much more exciting than anything Jalen Smith's done. Definitely. When you you see the highs, you see the defense, you see the block shots, you see the alley-oop passes, you're like, okay, this guy's got some special talent. But the lows are just like lots of foul trouble, turnovers, not a great rebounder, uh, block shots, but then the other team gets the ball and scores again. You know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, he's such a Jekyll and Hyde type of player where I really do believe in him as a player, but at the same time, it's kind of like turn into another Goga situation. I mean, at least he's getting more reps than Goga for sure, but he's going to be a third string center on this team uh, moving forward, especially if they keep ties. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Isaiah Jackson, but I do think that with how this roster is made up right now and with the draft picks that we have, they're going to have to make some type of trade. And I think Isaiah Jackson's potential maybe to the right team is higher than Jalen Smith's. I think so. Especially since he's still on a rookie contract. So I think he could be really nice trade bait in the off season. And the Pacers can address the center position. Obviously they just extended miles Turner. They got him for two more years. Jalen's on the book for two more years. So, you know, at that point, when they're both going to be free agents, what do you do then? I I don't know. But I think that's kind of where I'm leaning towards everything just because I've kind of changed, I guess, my stance a little bit on like Jalen's probably the likeliest, the the most likely to move, where I I think it's going to be Ajax. But I just just don't think you get the same level of defense against a guy like Embiid from Ajax that you probably get from Jalen Smith. It's definitely very possible. I, I think that as it, while both guys are close in age, like it's not like Jalen Smith old, I believe he's 23. Um, yeah. Isaiah Jackson is 21. I do think that he probably could be more appealing to some teams that, you know, if you were to attach, you know, a first round pick with them to be able to move up in the draft or, or it's not that you need to attach a first, but it definitely, if you want to really get a better return back, that's what it'll take. I do think that he his upside is higher, uh, but it's just will he ever reach his full potential? I'm starting to feel like he doesn't in Indiana, and that's what kind of worries me because mm-hmm. we talked about it. hey Duarte Isaiah Jackson looked like one of the best you know draft classes the Pacers have had, and who knows how long you know years and years, and both guys are like I just don't think these guys can hit their full potential on this team with the amount of guys the amount of young hungry players that we've surrounded that both guys with yeah for sure and i'm i, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit Fachi, and move on to the sixers pacers game because a lot of offense very 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 little defense 147 143 is the final you know it, it's pretty impressive to see a team put up 143 points and still lose let alone a team that's playing on the second night of a back-to-back and they've been on the road for the past i think it's four games if i'm not mistaken so you know, for them to be able to come home and then have this level of competitiveness against a really good team in Philadelphia, it was impressive. But, you know, we've been talking about this player for a while, and Jalen McDaniels, oh, my goodness. He looked phenomenal last night. 8 of 13 from the floor, 8 rebounds, 20 points, Fachi. He had a steal as well. He was a plus 6 for the game for the 76ers. I feel like these are the kind of players the Pacers are always going to struggle with until they address this uh, the situation and this position because they just got to get more wings on the team. They have to. It's been a problem, and I still just couldn't believe that Philly was able to acquire McDaniels at the deadline for what they did. It was just, I mean, for the Hornets. Terrible it's, trade. It, it's awful trade. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, such a good move for Philly. Um, but 
Philly has just, <laughs> I, I mentioned it earlier, having our number, it's like an understatement. This was, a, this was as close as it gets to really being able to beat Philly with Embiid. Yeah. And I know you touched on, on McDaniels already. Embiid, though, I mean, 42 points, 19, 19 of 19 from the free throw Goodbye. line. I mean, James Harden has 14 points, 20 assists, nine boards. It's just there were so many players on this team that Philly packed such a punch. And when you see that score, 147 to 143, you either got to be thinking, was this an all-star game? Was this a double overtime thriller? Nope. It's just a regular season game. And the common theme here now, that's back-to-back games that the Pacers have basically allowed their opponents to shoot 60% from the field. Yeah. I mean, how is that happening? At this point, Philly almost had 40 assists in this game. They finished the game with 37 assists. Right there, you're not beating anybody if you're letting up ball movement like that. What gets overlooked is the Pacers basically shot 60% and 40% from the field. So this was a slugfest that was tied going into the fourth quarter, which is always impressive to see the Pacers hanging with, with, you know, one of the elite teams in the league. But... I mean, there, we have never had an answer for Joel Embiid, and I don't know when we will. Yeah, poor Miles Turner did not have a good game to Bocce. Just 10 points, zero rebounds, one block, three turnovers, six fouls, only nine, or 17 minutes in this game. I feel bad for him because he's had a good year, but once again, yes. it's just it's a mental thing with him, I think, against Joel Embiid. It's just like Joel knows how to get Miles into foul trouble quick. Very much. Happens every game. You know, I I thought, you know, Jalen and Isaiah did a good job. They both combined for five fouls total. So, obviously, they didn't have the same level of foul trouble that that Miles had because, you know, Miles ended up fouling out in about 17 minutes where, where Jalen was able to play 21. So, you know, overall, Joel Embiid is just a really tough player to guard, Fachi. And it's like most guys are going to struggle with him defensively, I think, before when we played against the Sixers when Embiid played, you know, you'd, you'd see Sabonis guard him sometimes just because Sabonis a little bit stronger down low, you know, trying to hold his own against him compared to what uh, what Miles is doing. But I, I thought Jalen Smith really played a smart game, shot the ball well from three, was five of eight from the field, two of five from three, so shot 40% at two blocks, only two rebounds. I mean, there wasn't a lot of rebounds in this game just because a lot no. of guys were making shots. But mm-hmm. If you just look at the overall scoring, a pretty balanced scoring outside of Tyrese. I mean, Tyrese carried this team, Fachi, with 40 points and 16 assists. I mean, just a lights-out game from Halliburton. I mean, he was all over the place. And I think the bright spot of this game, it just makes you realize how special of a talent we have in Tyrese and how bright the future is with him at the helm of the of the roster, him being the head of the head of the team like you build around Tyrese Halliburton I, with the players that we have and the future that we have I I'm very excited about this future I still can't find someone other than Wally Zerbia who could say a bad thing about this man because he is special mm-hmm. the 40 points 16 assists first time in franchise history the Pacers have ever had someone go for at least 40 and 15 assists thought that was awesome and then with another double digit assist game he has now uh broke the franchise record with 32 games of 10 or more assists mm. so in a season. So that's been awesome to see. And Alex, we talked about it. We said, you know, you, you brought it up. You're like, you know what? Halliburton needs to average X amount of assists in order to break the, the single season franchise record. I know he missed the game, but he's making up for it because he, he has had, I want to say since the all-star break, only one game where he's been below 10 assists. 
but he's also had a few games where he's got 16 assists, 11 assists, 14, 14. So he's really making it happen. And I do think that he is aware of that franchise record. I think it might be in the back of his head. And I do think that he's going for it, but it all depends on if the Pacers, you know, elect to rest him anymore because then it'll get far too challenging. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking it up right now to see how many assists Tyrese Halliburton has had this season. Um, uh, so Mark Jackson, if I recall, right. So Halliburton appears, he's had 544 assists this season. According to stat Muse, Mark Jackson had 713. So 713 minus, what did I say Halliburton's number was again? I don't know. 500 and change. What was it? Uh, five. I'll go back and look. I'm sorry. I'm looking at my phone. I apologize. 544. So let's do that. He's got to go 169 more assists just to tie. And do you do you know how many games we have left, Flash, off the top of your head? It, it's either 17 or 18. If it's 18, he'll have to average 9.3 assists. Or if 9. it's 4. 17, it's 9.9. 9. So... It's doable. I mean, having 16 assists. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up beating it because Tyrese doesn't like to miss games. I thought Tyrese was actually going to miss this game, to be honest with you. After having the ankle injury at the end of the Bulls game, Mm -hmm. I really thought, okay, they're probably going to rest him on a back-to-back, let him play Thursday because he didn't play Thursday uh, against San Antonio. And so that that's that. Do you have anything else you want to add on this game or do you want to just – I do. No, I do. Because we've talked about how Joel Embiid and Miles, you know, has just kind of – own Turner. I know it's rough to put it that way. Hey, guys, look, Turner's had a fantastic year, but nothing but complimentary of him all year. Here's the numbers in that matchup. So in the 12 career matchups they have against each other, Miles has averaged 8.6 points per game, 4.8 rebounds, and 1.6 blocks, while Joel Embiid has averaged 29.2 points, 12 rebounds, and 3.6 assists. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it is, uh, it's a big, big difference. And here's the thing. Embiid very well may finish up as the runner-up for MVP for the third straight year. So it's not like this is some like, you know, Clint Capella giving him problems or anything. And I don't know how Clint's catching a stray out here, but, you know, that is the first name that came to mind. But over the last few games, what's been real tough is, actually, I crunched some numbers. In Miles' last 76 minutes of gameplay, he has five rebounds total. Mm. That's... It's pretty tough. It's so always that, been a problem for Miles. It has. I mean, he's what is he averaging this year? Eight assists or eight rebounds, I mean? So it's actually down now. So now, last I checked, I want to say it was uh, 7.6, which is actually only half a rebound more than what he averaged last year Yeah, when he was sharing the court with Sabonis. And that seems hard to believe because at, some, at one point, I remember Turner averaging about nine rebounds per game. I remember coming yeah. into the year, you were saying, hey, I could see this guy averaging a double-double. If he ends up finishing at just about the same amount of rebounds, it'd be like, that's so weird because I remember him at times <laughs> pulling down far more rebounds than what I see now. Yeah, he's he's got to become a better rebounder. I know that he blocks shots and everybody – talks about that and I'm hoping uh, and I'm praying honestly that if we can address the power forward position and maybe get another wing defender out there that can help keep Miles from having to be the last resort for every single possession almost because it feels like a lot of times Miles is at the rim contesting almost every shot that's not a three-pointer you know I mean Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that are getting into the paint against the Pacers now not all the time but I mean still Miles does a good job altering shots and stuff like that but I just would love to see him become a double-digit rebounder. I really believe this might be the year just because he's in that contract year, trying to mm-hmm. prove himself. And I was happy with around eight. I, I thought yeah, that's, so a, was I. that's an improvement that's close to 10, just 
you're playing 30 minutes more or 30 minutes plus a game. Like this is something you should honestly just kind of get naturally because you're down there so much. So, you know, it, it's tough. I, there wasn't a lot of rebounds the last couple of games though, Flachie, because we had a lot of made shots. Field goal percentages were high. So I, I definitely think that played a factor into it, but I just feel like there's ways he could just be a little bit more aggressive on the glass. And honestly, we've seen where the guards have really struggled to be aggressive on the glass. And I think Tyrese Halliburton even mentioned it one post game. I forget what game it was, but he's like, we got to be better on the glass from the guard position. He said, I got to be better. I think that might've actually been after the Celtics game when they got beat in overtime, just because they allowed so many second chance points for the Celtics. And it's just like, you got to find ways to rebound as a team. It's not just on one person, but I do think that if the team is setting the tone, right, then then it's going to just fall in place naturally where everybody's just a little bit more aggressive on the glass. And that's what I want to see. I wanted to see it become contagious. But in this game against Philly, Buddy leads us with eight rebounds. Our second yeah. leading rebounder is TJ McConnell with five <laughs> yeah. and 22 minutes of play. So you're just not going to win those games, especially when you're going up against Philly. Like we talked about it. Both teams were so hot from the field that there really wasn't that many rebounds to go around. But I, I just feel like if if you tell me that Miles Turner has zero rebounds, I'm chalking that up as a loss. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, too, to just keep in mind is, like, when you're trying to guard Joel Embiid, it's probably not easy to get rebounds. Definitely not. Just because you're trying to prevent him from scoring. So, like, if he misses, you're relying on your teammates to get the rebound. So, um, <clears throat> anything else that you wanted to add on this game, Pachi? Or My, my last point over yeah. here is the Pacers are now 3-3 three and three since the All-Star break. They've been better than I thought. I didn't expect the loss to San Antonio, but also I didn't expect the win against Dallas. And two of those losses against Boston and Philly have been four-point losses, one of them even in overtime to the Celtics. So this Pacers team continues to be tough to figure out. They still don't quite have that direction. Like they're... They're still alive in the play-in, but no one's quite believing it. it. It's just been interesting. But, hey, I, I give the boys credit. They It feels that they get up for some of these bigger games, like against Philly, against Boston. That's definitely been something noticeable. Is that something that you're also seeing? Yeah, I was just going to say, this team right here, Fachi, because you, you didn't take my thunder, but you kind of led to that. They play to the level of competition that they're yes. facing. Every single game, they get up for the big games and they overthink these short games. Like, for example, let's talk about that Detroit game. We've only played Detroit once, and that was at the very beginning of the season, and that was a close one. That was like Benedict Matherin's breakout game against Jaden Ivey. I remember watching that, like, being just so stoked because, like, Matherin's, like, talking trash. But then a couple months later, you know, or maybe it was in November, I can't remember, but they play the Rockets on the road, and, and they just barely win that one. It's like, okay. They've had their back-and-forth games against Orlando and stuff like that. So I'm curious to see how they play these next three games because Thursday they got the Rockets at home. Then they're on the road for a back-to-back Saturday-Monday to play Detroit. I'm curious how they approach these games because I personally think they can win all three. I think they should win all three. They're going to be favored to win all three games. Mm -hmm. And it does make sense that you want the Rockets to lose because you do own their pick. And you want to make sure that you beat Detroit, or Detroit, you might want Detroit to actually beat you one of these games because they're tied, I believe, for the worst record with the Rockets as we speak, or they might even have a half game lead on them because the Rockets have played one less game and so the Detroit lost. So I just want to see how they play because if they're if these both these teams are kind of hanging around towards the end of the the game, it's like why can't we see you guys dominate against these terrible teams like you're playing 
with your hair on fire against Philly and Boston. I just want to see more consistency. And I think that is just part of them being so young is not being able to take care of business handily against teams that you should be. That's completely true. I, I just don't remember the last time that we really put a team away. I mean, against Orlando, that was uh, at least a, you know, a 10-11 point win. Other than that, I can't even remember the last time where we just went out there and just pounced on a team and really beat them by like, you know, 15, 20 points. Mm. And, I, and I know we have our limitations and we're not that type of team, but it's kind of hard to remember when that's happened all year. It feels like that would date back to, you know, late 2022 at best. Definitely hasn't been in 2023. Yeah, it's not been this year. I'm kind of looking at the, the games. I think maybe one, <clears throat> excuse me. Maybe one would have been the Hawks at home. That's the, the only one I see. Yeah. One twenty nine to one fourteen is the is the only example I could find mm -hmm. of a fifteen point win or more that's even remotely close to you know now that we yeah. the rest would go back to to Brooklyn in the beginning of the season. Yeah, and they've had some blowout losses losses too where they've just gotten killed. Yeah. But I mean, even before Halliburton's injury, like they beat the Hornets by five at home. Like mm -hmm. the Hornets are one of the four worst teams in the NBA. Yeah. It's just like come on, we've, we've got to be better than this. And so that's why I'm just like, nothing is guaranteed with this team because I think everybody probably thought, oh, they're going to beat San Antonio. Are you kidding me? They just killed Dallas. You know, like they didn't kill Dallas, but they they really gave it to Dallas. And Dallas is a much better team than San Antonio. Then they just flop. I mean, even without Tyrese, like that, that just goes to show how important Tyrese is to the team. But at the same time, it's just like some of these losses have just been so like, what are we doing? Like you go back to December when, the Nets still had Kyrie and everybody, and they set like seven guys, and the Pacers ended up losing that game to the Nets. And you're like, how do you lose to the Nets when they literally set almost all their starters? Like, what are we doing? So, you know, that, that to me is my big thing. I just want to see more consistency, and it's part of being a young team, and I totally get that. But I think that's why, yes, this team has a better record than projected, and they're probably going to get their 30th win on Thursday against Houston. I'd be shocked if they don't win this game because of how horrible Houston's been all season long, but they have got to figure out a way to play the good teams well and the bad teams like they're playing the good teams because if you continually play to your level of competition, that is not a sign of a good team. You got to be Houston. I just feel like Houston is just so, I mean, they've let up 71 points to Damian Lillard. I mean, they've been getting stomped out all year. I feel like that's a game that, A, you gotta win, but B, you also mentioned, hey, it actually works in our favor to beat Houston because we are getting their pick, and I know that that could still jeopardize our first, you know, our initial first round pick. But you know what? We got to see how those those lottery balls fall. So for now, I want to go out there. I want to beat Houston. After that, those Detroit games, yeah, they are very winnable. Then the schedule gets far tougher. So we'll see about that. But Alex, at this point, if you were to ask me. Now I'm finally done. Okay. Well, we got to bring up one more thing because celebrities were in the house last night for the Pacers game. Will Farrell making his first ever appearance at a Pacers game. Love to see that. 50 Cent was in there. Now he wasn't in the club, but he was at the mm -hmm. arena. And then you got Reggie Wayne, Michael Pittman Jr. I mean, we just had a loaded crowd last night. And I also want to say, that I absolutely love the tribute video to David Benner yes. and what they did. So, I mean, honestly, it was just a fun, entertaining game with a lot of celebrities there. And 
I, uh, I'm just glad Will Ferrell was able to survive Beach Grove, Walmart. A lot of stories that have happened at that Walmart. Uh, it's, uh, I've seen some fights on uh, social media from, from that place. So, Will Ferrell, I don't know what you're doing in Indianapolis. I think you're filming some documentary or something. But uh, that was pretty wild to see Will Ferrell at Gamebridge Fieldhouse Watch. I completely agree. I, I never found out what was going on, but I just assumed he's got to be filming something. But the celebrities were out, and I made sure to take – every advantage of it and text my nick friends and be like do celebrities even go to madison square garden anymore like you know look we, we got 50 we got will ferrell we got you got you know colts players it was everybody was out last night so that was awesome um hey good game i'm sure they enjoyed the game i know the pacers didn't get them a win but there was no lack of scoring in that game mm. so i think those celebrities had a good time and i think they very well could come back one day Hey, I mean, All-Star All Star Weekend's coming up next year, Fauci. So we are going to see celebrities coming to Indianapolis for sure. But, yeah, I just thought it was cool to see all that. So shout-out to them. And I love that, uh, you know, he's in the locker room and Rick Carlisle is joking with him. And, you know, for a second there, I forgot that was Rick Carlisle. I thought it was Jim Carrey. I thought, man, are we watching a documentary here or something? But yep. <laughs> but that being said, Fauci, uh, just cool to see. But anything else you want to add before we wrap things up here? No, I think I'm officially out of things to add. Awesome. Well, just want to give everybody a heads up that this will be released on Tuesday night. So that'll be a Tuesday night episode for you. And then tomorrow, Fachi will be doing a one-on-one -on -one interview with Rick Buecher. So you guys will be able to enjoy that. And I believe Rick Buecher is with Fox right now. Yep. FS1 formerly with ESPN. So he's been covering the NBA for quite some time. Feels like one of those uh, one of those names I always remember from my childhood. Names and yeah. faces. Yeah, for sure. I definitely remember him from his ESPN days. And then on Thursday which before we're not going to be able to talk about the game on Thursday, we got Nathan Grubel from draft deeper uh, from the no ceilings NBA uh, draft coverage. They have a great sub stack. Make sure you guys subscribe to that. He's going to join us Thursday for some draft coverage. Now we did record that on Monday before the Pacers game. So that conversation will have been pre-recorded, but that's going to be releasing on Thursday. And then if everything works out, Fachi, Scott Agnes Friday joining me while you're out of town. So Four episodes for you guys this week. Hope you guys enjoy all that. But Fachi, let the people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenMBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Man, there wasn't as much energy in that one, Fachi, but I'll go ahead and tell the people. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast, where our interview with Aaron Neesmith is available. So you guys go check that out. Comment on that. Let us know what you think. If you have questions you want us to ask him, if we get him on in the summer or something, please send us that information. We would love to ask him questions from the fans because sometimes we ask bad questions or just not great questions. I mean, I asked such a terrible question. I had actually cut it out of the podcast. You guys didn't know that, but I'm telling myself. So send me some questions. We'd love to know your guys' thoughts on that. But Fachi, if you're excited that the Pacers have been playing pretty good since the All-Star break, then hit me with those two words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.